Praise the Lord. Are we cooking? All right. Good morning. Amen. What a blessing and a privilege it is to uh, talk to you today and minister God's Word. Amen. Amen. And we've been learning some really neat things from the book of Nehemiah, and I trust we're going to learn some more and just be ignited today. Amen. For God's purpose, because we're reading a story from the Old Testament, but it pertains to today and it pertains to God's church today. Amen. And uh, so if you would just open with me to uh, the book of Nehemiah, chapter 2. And we're going to read verse 18 as a kind of a key verse to get us started today. But before we do, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, for your great love for us. Thank you for sending Jesus, your son, to die for our sins on that cross of Calvary. That, Lord, our sins could be eradicated, completely dismissed, and cast away as far as it is from the east to the west. We thank you, Lord, for your precious Holy Spirit, which you sent to lead and guide us into all truth. And, Lord, you live in the church by your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we just pray your blessing on our time together in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. And we also, we just pray your blessing upon Two Rivers Vineyard Church. We pray your blessing upon... Uh, Pastor David and Shannon, thank you for bringing them here to build your church. Lord, just ignite us today according to your purposes. Show us your plan for your building that you're building today. In Jesus' name we pray and all the people shouted. Amen. All right, we're going to kick off here with uh, Nehemiah 2, verse 18. Nehemiah speaking here. He says, then I told... I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. And I want to just take that thought, let us rise up and build, as our main thought today, or our title. And, and the primary thought I want to bring out today is this, that Even as in Nehemiah's time, Nehemiah's day, and the people of God that were in that day, as they had a building project that they were involved in, which is very, very important, very significant, so it is that we have a very important building project going on today, namely building the church, building the body of Christ. And each one of you have a part of it. So just just turn to your neighbor and say, you have a part. So, you know, if you don't get anything else today, you got that. You have a part. Can I have an amen? Amen. All right, so we're we're going to uh, begin in in the first verse of uh, chapter 2. Of course, it's a long verse, so we won't have time to to really preach on every part of it. But I want to just make some comments in chapter 2 here, and then we're going to look at some New Testament scripture uh, to see what the blueprint is for the building project of God today. Amen. So we want to tie these two together. The, the building of the wall, and today the building of the church. Amen? All right, Nehemiah 2, 1. And it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been before time sat in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad? Seeing thou art not sick, this is nothing else but sorrow of heart, then I was very sore afraid. Of course, he was not supposed to be sad in the king's presence because his job was to keep the king happy. Amen. Everything kind of, everything revolved around the king, right? It was all about the king. And so, and, and said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city the place of my father's sepulchres lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire. Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Yeah. Yeah. Nehemiah prayed. I guess 11 times in the book of Nehemiah, it, it records that Nehemiah prayed. Amen. And you know what? Anything that we're going to do for God, it all goes back to our relationship with him. It all begins with prayer. We're sustained by prayer. We're guided by prayer. And the reason Nehemiah was able to accomplish the things that he did as a leader 
was because he knew his God. Amen? And so here he's in this situation, you know, he, it, it, we learned about last week as Pastor David was sharing about uh, how he had learned about the, the situation in, in Jerusalem and how he had prayed and sought the Lord. And he grieved, you know, for the situation there. And so there was something tremendous working in his heart. And here all of a sudden the king says, what's going on? He tells him, and the king says, you know, uh, what do you make, what's your request? So he shot up a prayer. Amen. Sometimes we have longer prayers. Sometimes we have shorter prayers. Here, here's the situation, and he just, boom, he just shot up a prayer. He prayed right in the midst of the situation. And I said to the king, if it please the king, and if thy servant have, have found favor into thy sight, that thou wouldest send me to Judah unto the city of my father's sepulchers, that I may build it, that I may build it. So when, when the king, you know, I mean, of course, uh, I don't think Nehemiah knew this was necessarily going to happen, but when the king asked him, well, what do you want to do? You know, what's, what's the plan here? Uh, Nehemiah didn't say, well, king, I'll get back with you. You know, I'm going to check my five-year plan and see exactly how this fits in here. He knew right then exactly uh, what he wanted to do. I'm going to go build the city. Amen. And of course, he went and built the wall, but uh, the city without walls is, has a problem, especially in those days. I mean, uh, you know, that was really the identity of that city, and it was the protection of that city, and it was so important to Jerusalem. The two things that happened during this time of restoration, uh, the primary things were the restoration of the temple, building of the temple, and the rebuilding of the wall. And so when the king asked him, he knew exactly uh, what he wanted to do. I want to go build the wall. Amen? And so this is the thing when, when we walk in step with God and we, and we know him and we live close to him, we have a sense of our destiny. And, and Nehemiah knew exactly what he wanted to do. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, for how long shall thy journey be? And when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Moreover, I said to the king, as long as you're going to send me, king, if it please the king, let letters be given to me to the governors beyond the, the river that they may convey me over till I come to Judah. And, as long as you're doing that, king, a letter to Asaph, the, king, the keeper of the king's forest. So he's really audacious. He's stepping out there uh, and asking the king for everything he needs. A letter unto Asaph, the, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace, which appertaineth to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me, according to the good hand of my God, upon me. So he recognized that the favor he found with the king was because of his uh, relationship with God. God's hand was upon him. Now we need to understand here that this, this um, event in history is you know, very, very significant, not only uh, for the people of Jerusalem, you know, for their protection, and, and of course that's all, that was all very important, the rebuilding of Jerusalem, but it's actually a very significant event in, in Bible prophecy. Because going back to Daniel, which would have been, you know, uh, probably about 90 years before, Daniel had prophesied that the wall would be built. Daniel being a prophet of the uh, captivity, child of the captivity, but God had shown him, you know, 70 years. 70 years, there are years of years, so 490 years. And it talked about from the commandment of the rebuilding of the wall until Messiah comes, uh, would be 69 weeks. And so actually this particular event then sets the clock for the return of the Messiah. So you can see how it's very, very important. And of course, the rebuilding of the temple was important because it was prophesied that he would literally come into the temple, which he did. And at that time, you know, it, during the uh, captivity, the walls had been torn down, the temple had been destroyed, there was no temple to come into, there was no city. But from the time of the rebuilding, the commandment of the rebuilding, uh, there was ordained these 69 weeks. So it's very, very crucial, this building program, very, very crucial in God's plan and his purposes. How many know God has plans and purposes? And so here was some people that were getting a hold 
of God's purposes. There was a man that was tying in to God's purposes and flowing with God's plan for that particular season. And that's what we need to do. Amen. We need to get in touch with God's plan and his purpose and flow in the season that we're in. Then I came to the governor beyond the river and gave, him, gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite heard of it, they, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days and some few men with me, and neither told any man what my God had put into my heart to do at Jerusalem. So here we see that God had put something into his heart. He was not going on his own initiative. You know, I think I'm a pretty good leader. I think I'm a civil engineer, as uh, Pastor David uh, used that phrase last week. Uh, you know, I can get this done. No, God put something in his heart. And I want to say to you folks that God will put something into your heart. You may not be called to be a Nehemiah in the body of Christ, but you are called to a role of leadership. And in order to be that leader, you must learn to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And God will put things in your heart. He might put something in your heart to reach out to a neighbor or to reach, reach out to someone in the church. Amen. To, just to do an act of kindness, just to smile at somebody, just to show love to somebody that needs love, amen? Because you are a part of God's building uh, process, amen? And God will put things in your heart. Can I have an amen? Amen. It says, Neither was any beast with me save the beast that I rode upon. And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, these names are interesting, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof, which were consumed by fire. So he's evaluating. Then I went out to the gate of the fountain, to the king's pool, but there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. So there's so much rubble, he can't even uh, get through it with his, with his uh, beast. And then I went up, uh, in the night by the brook and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. And the rulers knew not whither I went or what I did, neither had I as yet told to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. Verse 17. Then said I to them, you see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the walls of the wall of Jerusalem that we be no more a reproach. So Nehemiah didn't, you know, soft sell the problem. He didn't try to put a good spin on it. He recognized the problem that they were in. Amen. He examined the situation. He looked it over carefully. He says, this is a mess. And we talked to them. You see the distress that we're in. You know, Jerusalem lies waste. And, uh, you know, even today, we can, look, we can look at the church and we can, say, we can see distress. We can see there's problems. There's places in the world, you know, where things are going, are going well and smoothly and many are coming to the Lord, but there's also places where there's great distress and great difficulty. You know, I've been reading a statistic about uh, different countries, and it was the Pew Research Group that did, that studied people that call themselves Christians, how committed they are to Christianity. And so I guess Ethiopia, by percentage, is the most committed Christian nation. And uh, the United States, actually, I was surprised, is doing pretty good. Among the Christians, 68% uh, say that their faith is very important to them. What that exactly means, I don't know, but there's something in America that's still working. Amen. <laughs> I thank God for that. But I was interested to find out that in, in the UK, where the Lord's been leading us to minister, only 11% of the people that say that they're Christians say that their faith is very important to them. Now just think about that. How would you like to be part of an army that was only 11% committed? There's a problem, amen? And that's a, that's, a, that's a place that needs revival. It needs great awakening. There's great distress. 
And so similarly here, in Nehemiah's time, he saw the distress, he saw the problem. He says, you see the distress that we're in? Let us. See, this is the voice of a leader. He says, let us. He didn't say, let you. He said, let us. He's willing to get his hands dirty and get involved himself. But he's calling them uh, to action, to do something about the problem. Can I have an amen? Amen. He says, let us. It's an interesting phrase. I guess it's used in the King James Version. It's used 217 times in the Bible. Let us. Everybody say, let us. us. And starting with uh, God himself who said, let us make man in our image. And many other places. Paul said, let us go and visit the brethren where we have ministered before and so on. It's It's a phrase that's calling a group of people to action. So here in the 18th verse here, He had spoken to them, let us. And then he says, Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. So he told them about the hand of the Lord being upon him. He told them, basically, I'm anointed to do this. And God has given me favor with the king. Amen. By the way, there's nothing wrong with saying, I'm anointed. Amen. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he's anointed me. If you say, I'm anointed, you're not bragging on yourself. You're bragging on God. God has anointed me. Paul said uh, that he who has anointed us is God. Amen. And so when Nehemiah came to them, you know, he didn't just say, well, let's do this thing, guys. He said, God's hands on me. There's an anointing on me uh, to do this thing. Amen. And the king has given me favor and let's get going. Amen. And I was, I was interested last week to hear, I haven't been here because I've been out ministering different places, but I did listen to the first two messages on, on the internet, which were both very good. And uh, I think Jake would be a good uh, seminary teacher. He was uh, really, really taught us well. But David's message, you know, really, he's, I mean, this was his idea, this uh, brick by brick life lessons from Nehemiah. Uh, because um, he said uh, that the Lord had sent him here. He didn't say, I was looking for a job, and this church, this church gave me a job. He said, the Lord sent him and Shannon to this place, and that God had spoken to him to build his church. Amen. So it's kind of like Nehemiah. You know, Nehemiah came and told them what God was doing. Amen. But the, the good thing about it is they responded to his leadership. They respond, they recognize the hand of God upon Nehemiah. They recognize that God was doing something. And understand, you know, the, the need was there, you know, for years before this, and nobody got it done. They needed a leader to come and be the catalyst for this project to get done. And so when he said, let us build the wall, then they said, let us. And they said, let us. Rise up and build. So they strengthen their hands for this good work. See, sometimes the words, there's other places in Scripture where a king spoke or a minister spoke, and it just caused strength to come to the people, see? And so they strengthened their hand for the task. They, they were ready to go for it, you know, as a result uh, of what was being spoken there. And then verse 19 says, But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arabian heard it. They laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what, this thing, what is this thing that you do? Will you rebel against the king? So immediately, as soon as this thing happened, there's opposition. Everybody say opposition. opposition. Folks, when you try to do something for the Lord, there's going to be opposition. opposition. Amen. But one thing about it, for Nehemiah and the people, they stood in the midst of that opposition And they declared and decreed that they're going to go forward. They did not allow the opposition and the difficulties to stop them. And if you're going to do something for God, there's going to be opposition. There's going to be difficulties. There's going to be somebody that's going to say something that uh, isn't going to feel real good in your heart. There's going to be problems sometimes from within the body as well as from without. But you've got to know what God has called you to do, and you've got to stand against that opposition, and you've got to keep moving forward with what God wants you to do, because He is the one that's on the throne of your heart, as we heard today. Can I have an amen? Amen. 
And so it, it, here's the, the voice of the leader, Nehemiah. He says in verse 20, Then answered I them, the, the opposition, and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore we, he's speaking for this, this crew, these people, we, his servants, will arise and build, but you have no portion nor right nor memorial in Jerusalem. So say, just get out of the way, uh, Sam Balat and Tobiah. We're going forward with the help of our God. Can I have an amen? amen. So now I want to tie this together with what's going on today. And so let's turn over to the New Testament, uh, to Matthew. chapter 16, and I want to look at uh, at the blueprint for God's building plan in the New Testament, because we are, we are living in the New Testament, amen. Jesus has come. He died on the cross for our sins, that we could be totally forgiven, our sins could be cast away, and that now uh, the Holy Spirit has come to live in our hearts, and we are his church. We are the body of Christ in the earth. I love that phrase, the body of Christ. Sometimes we, we read things in the Bible and we just, we just sort of read over them. Yeah, we're the body of Christ. That means we're the body of the anointed one. That means the anointing is in us. We are his church, the body of Christ. And so we want to just get some New Testament truth to understand what we're doing in our building project here today in the New Testament church. And so, uh, Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. When Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, say, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So they, apparently they're, they're believing in reincarnation. No one could do this except they were, uh, came forth again through reincarnation. <laughs> Never really had thought of that, but that's kind of what comes to mind. They're, they're thinking John the Baptist, Elias, Jeremiah. Verse 15, He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? So, you know, it's one question to say, well, what does everybody think about Jesus? What's your neighbor think about Jesus? What's your mom think about Jesus? What's uh, your friend at church think about Jesus? But the real question is, what do you think about Jesus? Who do you think he is? Who is Jesus in your life? So Jesus got down to brass tacks. He, he, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Then Simon Peter, the one who was, I guess, most apt to speak, answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father, which is in heaven. He said, Peter, you got that from my Father. You got a revelation from heaven about who I am. You understand Thou art the Christ, or in other words, the Messiah, the one that was come to save his people from their sins, the Savior of Israel. That's who you are. Jesus said, you got that from heaven. You got a revelation from heaven. And you know that's what happens to us. We hear the gospel, we hear the message, and God gives us a revelation that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. And we say, yes, Jesus you are my Lord. And something happens miraculous in our heart. We're born again. We're changed. It's through that revelation of Christ, the Savior. See, it's not, it's not religion. There's lots of religions. But there's someone who came to save us from our sins. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not a way, truth, and the life. He is the only way to be saved. It's through what Jesus did on the cross that we can be saved, that we can be changed, that we can be born again, and his spirit can come and live inside of us. And so he says, Peter, you're blessed. And you know what? When you believe in Jesus, you're blessed. Amen? When you believe in Jesus, power comes in your life to break addictions. I know I was addicted tremendously 
41 years ago, Jesus set me free. I've been free ever since. Thank God for his power. Hallelujah. I don't need alcohol and drugs anymore. I've got the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. I've got his life in me. I've never been the same. There's power through Jesus Christ. Can I have an amen? We're blessed. Amen. We're blessed. Amen. Hallelujah. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, I guess there's two different Greek words there. One is a, a kind of a little rock, and then there's the big rock. Jesus is the, Jesus is the big rock. Amen. Peter's like a little rock. Not little rock, not little rock Arkansas. Jesus is the rock that you can build your life on. He says, Thou art Peter, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So one thing I want you to see here in the building program of God is that Jesus builds his church. Jesus builds. He has taken responsibility to build his church. And we also see that he is the primary foundation of the church. So he is the builder, and he is the foundation of the building both. There are so many things that Jesus is. We could run out of adjectives and nouns and pronouns of who he is. He's everything. Amen? John 10, he says, I'm the door. The next thing you know, he says, I'm the shepherd. You know, he's, he's, he's everything. He's all we need. Amen? And, and, you know, to have a church without Jesus is just, it's just a, a religious club with no power. Amen? But when we have Jesus, we have strength to build upon. Amen? And he takes responsibility to build his church. And he says, Peter, next verse, I give you the keys of the kingdom of, of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth, shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. In other words, I give you, Peter, I give you authority. And I want to say this, that God gives his people authority. Whatever it is, whatever realm that your, your ministry lies in, God has given you authority in that area. And you do not have to let the devil run roughshod over your life or your ministry. Because he says, you have authority to bind and to loose. Amen. So you can bind what the devil wants to do and you can loose what God wants to do. And folks, we have to exercise authority to be a success in the kingdom of God. We are people under authority having authority. When you surrender your life to Jesus, he gives you authority in the realms that you live in and that you work in. Amen. So he's really in, uh, uh, in scripting. Is that the right word? He's bringing, bringing Peter in to his building program right here and giving him some information uh, about what he's going to do. All right, now let's turn to uh, 1 Corinthians. We might say, well, Jesus is going to build his church. You know, we're just going to sit back and watch Jesus build his church. <laughs> First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. For we are laborers together with God. Oh, folks, it's a partnership. We are laborers together with God. It's not just God, and it's not just us. Amen? We're, it's teamwork. Teamwork makes the dream work. I ministered in a church in Canada. That was their slogan, their church slogan. I love it. <laughs> teamwork makes the dream work. Try that out on your neighbor. Just turn to your neighbor and say, teamwork makes the dream work. Just say, try it. You might like it. <laughs> For we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. So God uses pictures 
in the Word of God. The first one is you're God's husbandry, which means you're his garden or his farm. He's the husbandman. And then he switches right away. He says, you are God's building. So here we learn in the New Testament building program that we're talking about today, we are the building. We are the building. You're the building. And God is the ultimate builder. And then uh, Paul says, in verse 10, he says, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me. See, this harkens back to Nehemiah. The hand of God was upon me. According to the grace of God, which is upon me. Again, not something that Paul's initiating on his own, but something that he's directed by God to do. According to the grace of God that's, that's upon me, that's given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. Hmm. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Paul says, I'm a wise master builder. The Lord has found that he can trust me to lay foundation. You know, it's very important in, in a construction, any kind of construction project, that you do the foundation right. Amen. Amen? If you put the foundation in crooked or oblong or whatever, it's really going to be hard. I mean, I used to do carpentry work, so I, I know what I'm talking about. If, if the folks that come in, you know, and do the concrete work and everything, if they got it all out of square and everything, it's a mess to begin with. I mean, it's really hard to deal with. Paul says, I'm a wise master builder. I build according to the blueprint. And I, when I lay a foundation, it's Jesus Christ. Amen? And so Paul, you know, as an apostle of God, he says, I have laid the foundation others build, it, build upon. He's talking about the ministers of the gospel. He's, he's, he's an apostle, but others come along. They might be a pastor, or they might be a teacher, they might be a prophet, they might be an evangelist, and they build on that foundation. Amen. Amen. So the thing that we learn here is that not only does Jesus build his church, but gospel ministers build the church. Some of you just went, Whew, that's good. I'm glad, I'm glad Jesus and, and the gospel ministers are handling this project. I, well, wait just a minute. Wait just a minute. Now let's go to the book of Ephesians. And I'd like for you to see chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens. Everybody say fellow citizens. With the saints and of the household of God. Now, here, Ephesians is written, a letter written to Christians. We know that from chapter 1. Ever since I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love to the saints. Paul recognized that they were Christians because they had faith in the Lord Jesus and love to the saints. Now, that's not just some special people that are called saints five years after they die or something. The saints are God's people in the church. All, all God's people, every Christian, every born-again Christian is a saint because they're set apart to God. That's what that means. And so Paul's writing here to the church at Ephesus. Uh, and he's talking to them about how they've been engrafted into a family. He says, you're no more strangers and, and, and foreigners, you know, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. You're in God's house. That means God's your father. Amen. And so in this chapter, you know, in, in the, just the little background of what's happening here, he's talking to them about how the, the, the Jews considered them outcasts, outsiders, you know, uncircumcised. Uh, nobody's spiritually speaking, okay? But now, since Jesus came, died on the cross, he broke down the middle wall of partition. doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, Greek, you're a man, you're a woman, amen? Uh, you're uh, uh, from a, a, a whatever kind of background, Asian background, African background, European background, whatever you are, you're part of the family. 
You're in the family of God. And I want you to know that your father loves you. You're in a family. Amen? And so that's, that's very, very important to understand. Praise God. We're in the family of God. And then in verse 20, we're getting back to the building project of God. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So there again, we're built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Verse 21. In whom all the building fitly framed together. Everybody say together. Fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. Fitly framed together. So now, I, I've been a Christian since uh, 1977. That's 41 years. Um, I, I love the Lord. I mean, I love the Lord. I, I have a good time with God. Every morning I get up and I enjoy God. I have a personal relationship with the Lord. Amen? But I want you to understand, that's good, but there's also this thing called the body. There's also this thing about how we are builded together. You see, verse, uh, verse 22, it says, In whom you are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So I experience the presence of God in my daily time with the Lord. It's very, very powerful. I would not trade it for anything. But there's something that we all need that only happens when we come together. Thank you for your enthusiasm. I said, there's something that only happens when God's people come together. Jesus made the statement. He says, where two or more are gathered, there I am in the midst. I know the Lord lives in me. Amen. You know, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And there's many obstacles I've faced and things I've gone through with just me and Jesus. But that does not negate the, the fact that I need the body. I need the body. You need the body. We need, folks, we need one another. We are builded together. You see, we're framed together. When I was a carpenter, we put boards together, you know, and we followed the blueprint and we attached boards, and, you know, and it had to be done just a certain way. But those connecting boards made a building. Amen? And this is what God's doing. We're being built together, what? As a holy habitation of God through the Spirit. Jesus said, by this will all men know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. He didn't say, by this will all men know you're my disciples, if you sit in a cave and fast for 40 days. That's good too. But it's the love that's in the church that speaks to the world. And when there's not love in the church, it's not a speaking to the world. Amen. And so that's why. Let us rise up and build because this work is so important. The work of the church of Jesus Christ is so important to God's plan to reach the world. We're his body. He's not here physically. It's got to be carried on by us. Amen. The corporate body of Christ. That's why the local church is so important. Amen. Amen. And what happens in the local church and the love that's in the local church and how we can come together and be builded together in the local church uh, for the plans and purposes of God. Now turn to the fourth chapter. And I'm going to begin in verse 11, but I, I want to... I want to make mention of a couple of things. He, he begins here in, the, in this chapter. Tells us that we're to endeavor, in verse 3, endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You know that, that it's interesting. He says, keep the unity of the Spirit. When we're a Christian, according to that verse, we already have unity. We just have to keep it. Why? Because we have the same Father. We have the same Savior. We have the same Holy Spirit. Amen. So he says, endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace because there is one body and one Spirit and you are called and one hope of your calling. You know, there's not multiple bodies. There's one body. There's not a Lutheran body and a Baptist body and a Pentecostal body and a vineyard body, you know. 
It's not an African-American body and a European body and a, and a male body and a female body. There's one body. It's not a young people's body and an old people's body. You know, we're one body. Amen. We're one body. Amen. We're different. We look different. We, sometimes we think different. Amen. We have different backgrounds. We dress differently. So what? We've got Jesus Christ in common. Hallelujah. We've got one spirit in common. Hallelujah. He wants us to learn to live in that unity and not by not being gross with cultural distinctives and every, every other thing, including religious distinctives. They always say, well, what are you? I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. Well, what do you believe? I believe the Bible. <laughs> why, should, why don't we divide up so much? Amen? Can I have an amen? amen. <laughs> oh. Somebody say praise the Lord in here today. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. All right. Hallelujah. Now you just became Pentecostal. See? <laughs> oh, glory to God. All right. So Ephesians chapter uh, 4. In verse 11, notice what he says here. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. These are the, what we call the ministry gifts. We often call them the five-fold ministry gifts. These are the leadership gifts in the body of Christ. All right? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And I believe we need them all. We had a great leader... Uh, go to be with the Lord back in February this year, Billy Graham. Tremendous influencer, a tremendous let us man who influenced this world greatly. And there's many other leaders in the body of Christ. Amen. And they're all important and they're essential to God's work. Amen. So these are the, the Nehemiahs that God has sent. Jesus has sent to, to continue his work of building the church. And it says that these five are given, in verse 12 it says, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That word edifying means the act of building up. So these are given uh, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now we can kind of miss the meaning there a little bit. So I want to. We've got the twelfth uh, verse there in the in the Amplified version. And I want you to see how it how they uh, bring it out in the Amplified version. There we go. His intention. His intention through these fivefold ministry gifts was the perfecting and full equipping of the saints. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's time to get equipped. Amen. The perfecting and the full equipping of the saints, and what are the saints? His consecrated people, that they should do. That they should do the work of ministering towards building up Christ's body, the church. That they should do. Folks, that means you. Now turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking to you? <laughs> and then say, you too. <laughs> See, we are the ministers. We are the servants. We are the workers. We are the ones that are to carry out uh, the Lord's work on this earth. You know, the old religious idea is, you know, you, you, you know we want to have a church. So we, we build this building and we put a steeple on it and we put pews in it and then we hire a pastor to come and do the work of the ministry. That's not God's idea of a church. No. The pastor is to equip the saints so that they can do the work of building up Christ's body of the church. 
We've all got to do this work. Amen? Now, I'm going to just drop down to the 16th verse here, and then we'll, we'll read that in the King James, and then we're going to go to uh, the Amplified in that 16th verse. There's lots of good material all around these things that I'm talking to you about. I encourage you to um, use them in your personal devotional time this week. But we can only cover so much today, but I want you to notice the 16th verse. I think it's so, it's so critical, and it really speaks to us today. And it's talking about growing up into Christ, which is the head. And then in verse 16, it says, From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. According to the effectual working in the measure of every part. Kathleen, that includes you. <laughs> she was in our Believer's School of Ministry. And God just kept speaking to her about her destiny. And you see what? Every one of us have a destiny. Every one of us have a purpose. You have a unique purpose and you are needed in God's building program. Amen? So you're the building and you're the builder. And it says, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, make it increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So here it says the body is going to edify itself or build itself up. The body builds itself up. You say, well, uh, Pastor David, you know, you need to build us up. You need to build us up. But yes, he does. But the scripture tells us that we need to build one another up. We need to build one another up. In the, in the 29th verse, it says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of building up, edifying. So we build up by our words that we speak to one another. We build up through the attitude that we project to one another. We build up by whether or not we care <laughs> that somebody's in the house of the Lord today or not. <laughs> I mean, people can pick up on attitudes and feelings and, and, you know, just whether they're wanted or not. Amen? We're called to edify. We're called to build up. We're called to build up in love. Amen. Do you love someone enough to break down your insecure barriers and go out and reach, to them, reach out to them and say, I'm glad you're here today? Amen? I mean, everybody's important. When people walk in the church, they need to be loved. Amen? And when people keep coming to the church, they need to be loved. They need to be edified. They need to be built up. It's so important. And you just can't say, well, Pastor David and Shannon, come on, take care of that. No, it's all of our jobs. Can I have an amen? amen. And you'll notice there it says, from whom the whole body fitly joined together. Everybody say joined. And compacted, that word there could also be translated knit together by that which every joint supplieth. So there's something in the joint that the joint supplies. What is a joint in the physical body? Well, I'd say it's the connecting point between two parts, right? It, we would call it in, in uh, sociologically, a relationship. <laughs> Relationships provide something that we need. Amen? Relationships in the body of Christ are important. They are valuable. Do you understand that the person sitting next to you, Jesus shed his blood for them? You may not agree with their theology. You may not agree with their politics. You may not even like the way they smell. I come to tell you, Jesus loves them, amen? And so ought to you. You are, folks, you're needed. You're needed in God's building a process, amen? All right, now let's just look at that in the Amplified Version. The 16th verse brings it out. For because of him, Jesus, 
the whole body, the church, in all its various parts, closely joined and firmly knit together by the joints and ligaments which, uh, with which it is supplied, when each part, with power adapted to its need, See, you have power adapted to the need of the ministry that God has called you to. There's power in your life to fulfill that ministry. Is working properly in all its functions grows to full maturity, building itself up in love. Everybody say, in love. love. Amen. <laughs> now, how many today got a picture of God's building program that he's doing in the, in the New Testament church. Would you lift your hand if you do? How many would say, I'm willing to be part of God's building program? Would you lift your hand? All right. Would you just stand to your feet? I'd like to just lead you in a prayer today. Lead us in a prayer. Let us, let us, let us pray. Just say these words. Dear Father, Thank you for your building plan. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross of Calvary for my sins. Thank you, he rose again. And I confess, Jesus, you're my Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you're building your church. That Jesus Christ is the foundation. I choose to build on the rock, not on my own ideas, not on the ideas of my denomination, but on the Word of God, on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. And now, Lord, make me a vessel. To reach out to others with your love. To build your church. To bring others in to what you have for them. Father, I thank you for the privilege of being part of your building program. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen.